Let's pray. Lord God, we have enjoyed your presence this morning, and we still do. We have left uh, behind and left out there things that might concern us, and we've turned our faces towards you today, looking full into your wonderful face in the light of your glory and grace. We haven't stopped doing that, and I pray that we don't stop doing that when we leave out of this building. We come to that time that we prepare ourselves, Lord God, to hear from you through your word. We recognize that that can only be accomplished by the work of your Holy Spirit. So we pray that each one of us could find a way to make ourselves uh, available, accessible, and that we would be hearing I have hearing ears this morning to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to us. I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Amen. As I alluded to, uh, some variation of this message I have done uh, so many times down through the years. It's one of the few messages that I'll do and and make very few alterations. Some of the material you will hear today, if you've been here very long at all, you will, you will recognize it. Unless you're like me, my wife and I laugh. We can watch a movie we've already seen, just like we've never seen it. <clears throat> but you, you may recognize some material that you heard before, but you may, but you may recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit that you didn't hear before. And I pray that that's what happens. I pray for anyone who has any measure of attention deficit disorder or whatever. Uh, I pray in, in these moments that that would be covered by the blood of Jesus. Because I want you to hear every word that I say. But even more than that, I want you to hear every word that the Holy Spirit says to you this morning. And we're going to give you an opportunity when I'm done to respond, as Don talked about earlier. We've been talking about What can we just said? We're getting ready. We're getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Sean had a great uh, word in in that unity is one aspect of that, is that we would walk together as God's people. There's a passage in in, uh, the letters of Paul where he writes to an unknown recipient and says, Help those two ladies. They're getting after it, they're having a fight. They're, they're in disagreement. Now, these are two ladies whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. These are two ladies who have been assisting in the ministry and the extension of the kingdom of God. And yet, they were at such odds in the body of Christ, in the same locale, that he was asking this recipient of his letter to help, help Euodia and Syntyche to get along and to make right their problems. And one of the things the enemy will do to us, the word distraction was used a few moments ago. One of the things the enemy will do to us is to distract us with the weight of unforgiveness and resentment. And we'll carry it around with us for years. I'll get into that more. A few weeks ago in our home group, we were studying this chapter, Matthew 18. We do things like that in our home group. We study the Bible and stuff like that, you know. 
And we were talking about this story and, it, and the words jumped off the page at me, which we'll read in a moment. The kingdom of God can be compared to. And I realized that that last week we talked about the content of the kingdom being the peace, uh, uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if we are going to, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I'm, I'm having trouble getting ahead of myself this morning. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that has opposite values as the world system. Kingdom of God is opposite from the world. The way up in the kingdom of God is down. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. That's backwards. Uh, Donnie McGuire, Reba Rambo wrote and sang a song called The Backwards Kingdom. Uh, the way to live is to die. I mean, it's just backwards. Everything about the kingdom of God is backwards from what the world system would tell us. And so we are presenting to the world, we're presenting to the culture in which we live. A kingdom that is opposite of what they're used to and the way they're used to thinking. So as we salt our surroundings with the values of God's kingdom, we make change where we live. We make change where we live. Now, it seems like every week I have to get into politics for whatever reason. <clears throat> and get ready, I'm going to tell you how to vote. <laughs> well, there's no vote coming up, so it doesn't even matter. We have convinced ourselves if we have the right legislator and the right person in office that everything, that the righteousness of God's going to come in to our culture. And I just want to break your heart today and tell you that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm reading a book by uh, Cal Thomas. How many of you ever heard of Cal Thomas? Some of her, the older ones might have. He's still alive now. The title of the book is America's Expiration Date. That'll get your attention, won't it? He's not a doomsday guy, just so you want to know. Uh, one of the things he says in, in here when he's writing on the, the, uh, the horror of abortion, he writes, courts and legislators will change only. Everybody say only. Courts and legislators will change only when the hearts of Americans change. And that will occur only, everybody say only again, when people have a different view of life and of God who created us to be his. I'm not opposed to Christians or us being in, matter of fact, I'm very much for our being involved in the political process. I think that's part of uh, Jeremiah 29, to seek the welfare of the city which we live in. As a matter of fact, some of you should be running for for some kind of office locally. I don't know who it is. It's not me, I promise you that. But we should have God's people bringing God's kingdom into that, but that is not the solution. Jesus in this parable says to us that the kingdom of God can be compared to a story about forgiveness and unforgiveness. One of the things that marks God's kingdom is that we would walk in forgiveness with one another. Now, because of the fact that you and I are human beings, we get into situations, relational situations, where we need to forgive and be forgiven. And that's because even though in God's eyes we are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, when we walk in, on the earth, sometimes 
we get in the flesh. Now, if you don't ever get in the flesh, this message is not for you. But you just listen to me, preach it to me, and I hope you enjoy what it sounds like. But sometimes we get in the flesh, and sometimes we say things, and sometimes we do things, and sometimes we do the opposite. And it causes Euodia and Syntyche type problems. Doesn't mean we're not Christians. Doesn't mean we're not good people. It just means we got relational problems, and we hang on to them far too long. If you, you can be turning, and we'll read in a moment, Matthew 18, 21. Uh, let me set this up. Uh, prior to where we're going to read, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, he said, if your brother sins against you, that's a big if, isn't it? If your brother sins against you, he says, what are you supposed to do? Go and tell him. What do we do? We go and tell somebody else. Can you believe? Well, bless God, he's not going to get over on me. <clears throat> Go and tell him or her. Jesus is using the, a, pers- a, ma- a male in this example, but it applies to females. Go and tell him. And, and he goes through the process by yourself. And if he doesn't receive you, then take two or three of the brothers from the church along. Sit down with him. And if he still doesn't hear you, then bring him before the church. And then if he still doesn't repent, he says treat him like a tax collector. How many of you love the IRS? Uh, Basically giving him the left foot of fellowship. Excommunication out of the body until he's ready to repent. And then... Peter, we love Peter because he's impetuous. You can always count on Peter. Peter doesn't think. My sixth grade teacher used to tell us, put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. Save you a lot of trouble. Some of us didn't learn that. Peter never learned it. Peter just, it comes out. So if if you'll stand with me, well, no, don't stand yet. I, want, I got one more thing I want to say. You can stand if you want to. You're not going to bother me. The overall theme of this passage we're about to read is that we would forgive as we have been forgiven. But that's the key. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Be kind to one another. I hear my mother my mother's been in heaven for five years, well, five years. And I can still hear her saying, be nice. Now be nice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, watch this, forgiving. I don't have a slide for that, will you? Oh, well, William has a hard time keeping up, William. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Yeah, I see what he means. I never read the scripture. Colossians, he writes similar thing. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's the theme of what we're going to read. So now, if you would stand with me while we read Matthew 18, 21, and I'm going to read through verse 35. 
And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or some Bibles will say seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, let me just point out something real quick. The first guy owed 10,000 talents to his master. In today's money, that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million. The second guy owes his friend a hundred. I lost my place. Denarii. Was it a hundred? That's a denarii is basically let's say, a day's wage. So let's say, let's just round it off to say that's $1,000. So we got $6 million that's been forgiven, but he doesn't want to forgive $1,000. Okay. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Pay attention to verse 35. We'll come back to it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, you can be seated from your heart. So here's Peter. He's hearing this. Peter says, how many times? He's trying to find a loophole. You know, God, I understand this forgiveness stuff. How many times I got to forgive this guy? How many times I got to put up with this? Truth is, Peter's probably one of the ones that need to be forgiven the most. Forgive as God has forgiven you. We'll come back to that, but that's the overall theme of this story. And, and Jesus, of course, Jesus is telling this story. I think Jesus makes the first guy owe what we, in our worlds, about $6 million. I even read somewhere where it could be $6 billion. Regardless, the fact is, it's a large amount of money. This is a very well-off person in his story. And the, the, the master has forgiven him every penny. And yet he can't get, he can't forgive about a thousand dollars for somebody that owes him. Okay. Forgiveness is. What is forgiveness? You say, well, I want to know what it isn't. Well, let's talk about what it is. Forgiveness is to send away. It means to send away. That's the verb is that you take a debt that someone owes you and sends it away. There's the imagery of the scapegoat where the priest would lay hands on the head of the scapegoat and uh, uh, ostensibly 
transfer all the people's sins to the head of the scapegoat, and they would lead the scapegoat out of the city and out of out beyond the horizon, taking the sins of the people with him. Send away from you and from them the debt they owe you. The noun there would simply be a dismiss or a release. Forgiveness is a release. Forgiveness is a letting go. And I know you I know you got things running through your mind right now. Just hold on. Just hang on. Um it's a shame Evan and Corey aren't here today because last week I talked about joy the whole time. Today I want to talk about Corey Ten Boom. Hmm? Corey Ten Boom, yes. Corey Ten Boom talked about when she met uh, a former Nazi officer who had abused her and her sister while they were imprisoned in Auschwitz. And this gentleman saw her at a meeting and came up to her and said I, he had become a Christian since that time. He had, he, he had known Christ and realized the error of his ways, and he wanted her to forgive him. Corey Ten Boom did not want to. In her own words, he said he walked up to her, and as he reached out his hands toward her, Corey resisted. Then, in obedience to God, as she extended her hand, in obedience, she realized she didn't feel like it. She wasn't wanting to do this. As she, as he, she extended her hand towards him, she felt the surge of the Holy Spirit pour through her in a supernatural act of forgiveness. It was a dismissal. She chose in that moment. Chose, everybody say chose. She chose. We're going to come back to that. See, you keep coming back to everything. We're, we're never going to get out of here. <laughs> she chose to dismiss his debt. How many of you realize his debt was real? It wasn't fake. It wasn't. She wasn't overreacting. This is a Nazi officer in Auschwitz. You can imagine the horrors that they saw him do. Some to them. The Amplified Bible gives us Mark eleven twenty five this way. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go. Everybody say, let it go. In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. Leave it. Let it drop. Let it go. That's the essence of forgiveness. So well, what about them? Well, I'm going to get to that, but I'm reminded of when, when uh, Peter said that about John. What about him? Peter said, that's none of your business. I mean, Jesus said, that's none of your business. If I have him live forever, that's none of your business. You know, Jesus had this strange notion that he was God. Forgiveness, let's, let's just understand that. Forgiveness is a release. Forgiveness is to send away from you and from them the debt that they owe you. So, if you want to talk about observations about forgiveness... Let's talk about this. Forgiveness is an act of our will and not the result, not necessarily the result of an emotion or feeling. 
Many times when you choose, when Corey Ten Boom was reaching her hand to that guy, she wasn't feeling a thing. He said, I don't want to do this. But in her obedience, God met her. You may not always feel that surge of the Holy Spirit in that moment, but if you're obedient to God, the result is always going to be good. Act of our will, not the result of an emotion. Chuck Colson tells the story of a Mrs. Washington who, during a graduation ceremony for inmates, completing a prison fellowship program, swept to the stage to wrap her arms around a graduating inmate, declaring, this young man is my adopted son. Mrs. Washington has got her arms around this inmate, and everyone had tears in their eyes. For they knew that this young man was behind bars for the murder of Mrs. Washington's daughter. A release. I'm sure there was a day when she was faced with the fact that this man was responsible for taking her daughter away from her. And I'm sure there was a day she didn't feel like running up and putting her arms around him. But she chose to. Forgiveness is an exercise in obedience. We forgive because we hear our Father tell us to forgive. Well, that's not fair. Well, if you've been around here very long, you've already heard me say, God's not fair. Don't think God's fair because he's not. Don't teach your children everything's fair either. Another thing is that, here go, listen to this. Forgiveness is not dependent on evidence that will not do it again. Take a deep breath. It's not, I'll forgive you if you promise you'll never do this again. That's not forgiveness. That's manipulation. Forgiveness is, I release you from this debt. Now, you may have to release them from another debt 10 miles down the road, but you release them from this debt now regardless of what they do or don't do next. You don't forgive them because they're right. You can't can't wait till they're right to forgive them. Forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness says to a person, I will not hold this against you in the future. Therefore, I release you from this debt. It's promising them that this debt, not the one ten miles down the road, this debt I release you from. And I will never hold it against you again. Sure is quiet in here. (laughs) See, if we understand forgiveness, we understand that uh, it's not the way we think. We think we got to straighten them out, but we can't do that. And you know, the, you know, one of the most burdensome, burdensome things to do as a Christian is to try to be the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of work because you just can't do it. So, if we're going to talk about that, we have to ask the question: Then why must we forgive? Why we must forgive? Why? Why is it? 
Well, simple enough, it starts off by the because God forgave us. God forgave and he forgives us. God's a forgiving God. As a matter of fact, God owns forgiveness. Can you can you imagine what it's like to get heartburn right in the middle of your message? Can you imagine the debt that we owed God as sinners? Think about it. The debt that we owed God. The Bible even describes us as enemies of God. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. God to God belongs forgiveness. We rebelled. His mercy is more. I have a story. Again, if you've heard this message many, many times, you've heard. In a dream, Martin Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil unrolled a scroll containing a list of Luther's sins. And held it before him. On reaching the end of the scroll, Luther asked the devil, is that all you got? No, came, no came the reply, and a second scroll came out. Then after a second scroll came a third scroll. Now these are all accusations of sins by the devil against Martin Luther. And of course this is Martin Luther of the Reformation. Then, and, and he said, uh, you got any more? He said, no, well you've forgotten something. Luther exclaimed triumphantly, quickly write on each of them, each of the scrolls, write on each one of them, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Forgiveness. We rebelled against him. Each of us has gone our own way. Each of us has went astray. And like sheep, we've gone our own way. We must forgive because God forgave and forgives us. We must forgive because when we refuse to issue forgiveness, we are put in prison. Remember the last verse, verse 35? My father will do this to you. And it's not like God's sitting there with a prison waiting on you. But it's when you refuse to forgive. This guy in the story refused to forgive the guy that owed him $1,000. And he wound up in prison. And you and I, if we refuse to issue forgiveness, we will wind up in a what Bob Mumford calls an invisible shield that will keep us contained and keep us from moving and keep us from freedom. Verse 35 quoted that. I, I don't know where this came from. I think the first time I heard this was from Brother Charles Simpson when he said Old, holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison. And waiting for the other person to die. That it doesn't it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you to think that you can hold out your forgiveness and it's gonna make them feel bad. It, it, it's just gonna make you feel bad. It's gonna corrupt you from the inside out. I'm gonna repeat that. Holding unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. 
Some of you remember a few years ago when there was the shooting at, at uh, um, Charleston, South Carolina, at the AME Church. A young man went in and sat in on their Bible study. He sat there a while, and then when they all stood up to go have prayer or something, uh, he pulled out a gun and began shooting, killing some, several folks. The whole church, especially the whole church, basically responded with forgiveness to this young man. Particularly, one of the ladies who was killed was named Cynthia Hurd. Her husband was interviewed, Arthur Hurd. He was interviewed later on about what went on. And he said, I would like to say to this young man, if I, you know, he wasn't talking to him, but he was saying to the news media, I would like to say to this young man, I would love to hate you, but hate's not in me. If I hate you, I'm no better than you. What a response. This was just shortly after she died. It wasn't like five years later. It was shortly after. He just said, I can't, I, I will, I refuse to hate. I refuse to let hate govern my life. Because if I hate you, then I'm going to be just like you. So if you want, if you want to know why to forgive, it's so you'll be free. So you'll be free. You, if you understand forgiveness, you begin to understand that a big chunk of it, and maybe most of forgiveness, is to help yourself. Certainly you release people from a debt, that's a good thing, but you release yourself from a prison. So what keeps us from forgiving? Top of the list, looking out for number one. I mentioned earlier that we live in a culture that's backwards from the kingdom of God. Our culture tells us you got to look out for number one. If you don't look out for number one, no one else is going to look out for number one. So you have to do it. What about me? Remember that? What about me disease? What about me? What about mine? What about us? That looking out for number one started in the garden, by the way. As soon as Adam sinned and Eve sinned, and thorns showed up in the garden from that day forward. They were looking out for number one. We take an adversarial position when we're looking out for number one. We're always ready to strike back when someone seems like they're going to wrong us or did wrong us. I call it the claw. We, we're ready is in immediately when someone says something or does something that we don't like or might offend us. We immediately want to strike. Why? Because we want to strike first. Because we're looking out for number one. The need for self-justification on our part is a sign that we feel we must struggle to maintain our own existence. We feel like we have to struggle to maintain who we are and what we are. In other words, we say things like, I can't let anybody get the upper hand on me. Ooh, I can't let that happen. Most of the arguments you see today and hear today and probably you're involved in are rooted in, I can't let that, I can't let them get the upper hand. I don't want to be a doormat. Well, I'd rather be a doormat than to be eat up with unforgiveness. I'm not going to let them get over on me. I, I might look bad. Well, you look bad already. <laughs> Face it. <laughs> we all do. We're human beings. 
It's also the idea of always having to be right. You ever talk to somebody that has to always be right? Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I know that. Guy walked into the blacksmith shop and saw a horseshoe laying there, and, and he went to reach for it. And the blacksmith started to say something. The guy grabbed it and and uh, threw it right back down. And the blacksmith says, "I was going to tell you that thing was hot." He says, "Oh, I already knew that." <laughs> Always got to be right. That keeps us from forgiving people. Here's another one. What keeps us from forgiving is a desire for revenge. Or as Barney Fife said it, revenge. You have to watch it. Our desire for revenge because we think we got to get it back on. Watch this, watch this proverb. You need to write this down or take a picture of the screen. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see it. And be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Now, let's face it. You got to admit it. Now, hang on here. When you're watching on TV and someone on the other side of the spectrum of your political voting, something bad happens to them. You got to admit it that you get you rejoice. Yeah, they got it coming. You laugh and you're happy when your enemy has a flat tire out on the interstate. And you drive by laughing? Don't tell me you don't do it. Because that psalm wouldn't have been written if we didn't. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Don't be glad. As a matter of fact, we're told to bless our enemies. To love our enemies. He says if you do that, God's going to turn his anger away from them. What a God we serve. See, if you want to get happy about your enemy having bad things happen to him, then I'm going to turn my anger away from him. You know why? Because you're getting in the way. God's got a plan, and you got in the way. We also have, um, well, let me just say this. We must renounce damaged joy. That's what this is called. We must renounce joy at the damage of someone who's done us wrong. Did you hear me say someone who has done us wrong? I'm not talking about we thought they did us wrong. I'm not talking about that we have overreacted to what they did. I'm talking about they have done us wrong. W-R-O-N-G. Wrong. But when we rejoice at some damage that happens to them, we got this bigger problem or bigger than they do. And then there's this need for justice. Someone's done us wrong. We're upset with them. Well, I can't forgive them because I have to see justice done. I have to see that they get what they deserve. I don't know about you. I'm real glad that I don't get what I deserve. I don't care who you are. You know what it is when we have a cry for justice and a need for justice and, and we say, I can't forgive them because I got to see justice done is that we don't trust God or either we're like Jonah. We know God's good. We don't like it. <laughs> God, 
I don't want to go talk to them because I know if I preached to them, they would repent and you'd take care of them and I don't like that. Jonah was a human being. We're human beings. Forgiveness is agreeing to get out of the way and leave the justice to the issuer of justice. I will tell you this, that God's justice is always, everybody say always, redemptive. Ours is not. Ours, we want to do away with somebody. We want to eliminate. We want to see them suffer for what they did to us. Corey Ten Boom could have said, I want to see you suffer for what you did in Auschwitz. But she didn't. And she got free. Practical suggestions for forgiveness. Hang on. Forgive people, but don't try to change them. In some cases, you don't have to continue to be around them. Forgiveness is not resubmitting yourself for abuse. Not at all. Forgiveness is not placing yourself in situations where you're going to have to forgive them again because you did something unwise. But don't try to change them. You need to forgive unconditionally. Without conditions. I will forgive you if. I will forgive you when. That's not forgiveness. Once again, that's manipulation. God says to you, I will forgive your sins without condition. God did not say to you or say to me or say to anyone else, if you will stop this many sins, then we got a deal. Or if you do this many good works, we got a deal. He didn't say any of that. Titus teaches us that we were saved not by our own works, but by the mercy of God. And God forgave your sins when you came to him without any conditions. He did not put any conditions on you except to believe and to accept. Sometimes you can help yourself in the area of forgiveness if you overlook the small things, especially in marriages. You know, the next time he leaves the toilet seat up, don't get bent out of shape. There's, you know, there's a bigger battle to, to wage. There's, there's small things that we can just let go. Now, we can deal with them, say, I wish you'd put the thing back down. But don't get, don't get so emotionally wrapped up in that thing that you now have to deal with forgiveness over a toilet seat. <laughs> and we guys got, we got the same things. We get mad because they put it down. No, anyway, that's another. <clears throat> now I want you to really hear this one. After you forgive someone, don't bind them to their past mistakes. Deal with, I deal with this fair amount in marital counseling because someone is always saying, bringing up the past. Yeah, but you remember, well, okay, that was true. Let's get past that. When you forgive someone, don't tie them to their past mistakes. Yeah, they were mistakes. They weren't 
wasn't smoke and mirrors. They were mistakes. They were wrong. But if you're going to let them go of that debt, you have to let go. And you can't have any strings attached. Back to Corey Ten Boom. Uh, this comes from her book, The Tramp for the Lord. Somewhere in here. Well, there it is. She talks about some things God's dealing with her on, and then she says this. God still had more to teach me. Many years later, after I had passed my 80th birthday, an American friend came to visit me in Holland. As we sat in my little apartment, he asked me about those people from long ago who had taken advantage of me. It seems some folks, some Christian friends, had taken advantage of her. It's nothing, I said smugly. It's all forgiven. He said, well, what about them? Have they accepted your forgiveness? They say there's nothing to forgive. They deny it ever happened. No matter what they say, I can prove they were wrong. See where we're headed? She said, I went eagerly to my desk. I have it in black and white. I saved all their letters and I can show you right here. And this friend said, Corey, aren't you the one whose sins, sins are at the bottom of the sea? Yet your sins of your friends are etched in black and white and you're keeping them in your desk drawer. She said, for a moment, I couldn't even find my voice. Lord Jesus, she said, I whispered, who takes away all my sins. Forgive me for preserving all these years the evidence against others. Give me the grace to burn all the blacks and whites as a sweet-smelling sacrifice. She said, I didn't go to sleep that night until I pulled all of those letters out, put them in the coal-burning grate. As the flames leaped and glowed, so did my heart. Forgiveness, forgive us our trespasses, Jesus taught us to pray, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is the key which unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. The forgiveness of Jesus not only takes away our sins, but makes them as if they had never been. Don't tie people to their past mistakes. Don't hold evidence. Let it go. If you're going to forgive them of the sin, let go of the sin. Let go of the debt. Don't keep what Don Basham called a bag of slights, hurt slights and offenses hanging off of you all the time. Everywhere you go, you got a bag and it's got all your hurts and all of your slights and all of your offenses. And you're always reminded because it's beating you against the leg. Every day you're remembering, oh, get rid of that stuff. Get rid of it. And finally, when asking, when you're asking for forgiveness, we haven't done a whole lot with this. When you're asking for forgiveness for something you've done wrong, don't follow with an excuse. I, I want you to forgive me for what I did, but this is why I did what I did. No. Don't you make excuses. Don't make reasons. Don't try to explain. You were wrong. Ask for forgiveness. And leave it at that. Come on, worship team. I'm, I got one more story, but I'm going to let the worship team get in place before I. You're the, okay. He's the worship team.
There's a Spanish story of a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read this, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up. <laughs> Reminds me, my wife said the first time she went to Mexico, they started asking folks, hey, how do you tell people, do you know Jesus in Spanish? And they said, you don't do that. Why wouldn't you do that? Because they're going to tell you, Jesus is my uncle. He lives right down there in that third house. <laughs> Jesus. 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. One of the things we need as human beings is to be forgiven. One of the things we really need as human beings is to forgive. Now, you, you may need to make a move this morning just to say to God, I got you. I got you. You may need to come to the altar. Or at some point, you may even need to speak to somebody, not necessarily this morning, although it could be. But I pray that you would respond if you have thought about something or someone while I've been talking, if the Holy Spirit has shown you someone that you're still holding on to a debt, that they owe you, that you have not been able to let go of, for God's sake, for your sake, and for their sake, please release them of that debt. And let God do a work in your heart. So let's go ahead and stand. And as Don sings, you just respond accordingly to what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in you this morning. As you were talking about the Cory Ten Boom thing of throwing the letters in the fireplace and and her feeling that release. Uh, my friend sent me a quote yesterday from one of my favorite devotionals. It says, let a lot of things go and sing with the birds. When we let things go, all of a sudden we can sing again. It releases us. And so I just felt like the Lord gave me this song this morning just for this. It's called Let It Go. I don't know if William had time to be able to type it up. Let it go. Let the Spirit fill that place. And let it go. And the chains will fall away At the power of His name So let it go Let it go Oh, let it go Let the Spirit fill that place And let it go And the chains will fall away 
Let the power of His name so let it go. He can minister to you in your chair. You don't have to feel like you have to come down forward. He can deal with you standing right there. But if there is anybody that wants to come down to the altar and just let some things go, feel free. Let it go. Let the Spirit fill that place and let it go. Oh, the chains will fall away. Let the power of His name, so let it go. Let it go. Oh, let the Spirit fill that place and let it go. And let the chains all fall away. Let the power of His name and let it go. Thank the Father. Oh, Father, you forgive us. Oh, so give us grace to forgive. Oh, Father, you forgive us. grace to forgive and let it go you know uh, I was sitting there and thinking and thinking Lord I've cleaned this out many times but there's still more to clean out even in the last few months things have come into my heart and my mind and I didn't let it go. And I dare say every person in this room needs to let it go somewhere, some way. Somebody. So I ask that each of you just put, ask the Lord to show you that one person in your life that you need to let go of the problems that you've had with them. That you need to forgive them. You can do it right where you sit or you can come up. But every person needs to do this. Clean that thing out because if you don't, it'll wear you down. It'll drag you down. It will kill you if you're not careful. Let it go. Foster says he has a word about forgiveness. So... Whenever there's times when, you know, you're angry at someone, sometimes it might feel like 
You just want to give them a black eye. But that black eye, if you give the black eye, you're no different than your enemy. And Satan, he tries to pretty much take control of you and take control of you like a robot and make you listen to his orders and pretty much just not do anything good. So you want to forgive them, not be mean, say any mean words, or anything like that. You want to forgive them. Let's do that. What feels said. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of a doctor right at this minute. I'm forgiving as I'm singing the song. Let it go. Let the Spirit fill that place. And let it go. And let the chains all fall away. Let the power of His name. So let it go One more time Let it go Let it go Let the Spirit fill that place And let it go The chains will fall away At the power of His name So let it go Father, you forgive us help us to go out of here today with that message on our hearts to let it go nothing is so important that we need to hold on to it with such a grip that it grips us help us to help us to forgive where we need to forgive help us to talk to those who are still with us that we need to talk to and help us to do the things that are necessary to keep us from holding from embracing a debt Lord God let it go before it becomes something Lord God we recognize it all we have is we have a nothing until it becomes a something let it remain a nothing thank you Lord God for, for what the work you're doing in hearts and thank you for the people that are getting free and will be free this morning in your name we need to do one more thing before we leave I want, you, I want you to pray with me this morning first ladies we're going to have surgery this Friday she for some time 
has suffered with diverticulitis. You know, if you've ever had that, you can relate. It's painful. It's an infection that causes her whole body to react. She's been hospitalized with it before. And uh, we talked uh, some time ago, we talked with Pastor Phil Wilson of the Bridge Fellowship, and he had had surgery for the same thing. And he told her, he said, best thing I ever did. So she's going to do that this Friday. So you just join with me. We're not going to do what we've done sometimes and gather the whole bunch of us around her. Uh, she's so short we might lose her. <laughs> but she sure is pretty. <laughs> join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great lady. And I pray today as uh, she goes into this surgery on Friday uh, that, first of all, that the surgeon who is going to perform the surgery will do so with exact precision that would amaze even himself, that you would guide his hands, you would cause the surgery to take place without any complications. We pray that the recovery would exceed the expectations of the medical community, Lord God. And most of all, that through the hand of medicine, you would heal her of this diverticulitis issue, Lord God. That all would go well, and she would come out uh, with great reports, Lord Jesus. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, all I got to say now is God bless you. You be dismissed and go out there and forgive somebody. <laughs> <laughs>